Well, once again, Happy New Year. It's good to see everybody. Uh, and I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us this next coming year. I do have some good news. I, I haven't really shared a lot of what's going on with my trip to India. Part of the reason is because it's been a lot of no news. It's been a lot of wait, a lot of filling out forms. And I didn't want to bore you with that because it was incredibly boring to me. However, this past week, I can say this, and we can praise the Lord together, that I finally was able to procure my Indian visa. So, uh, as far as that goes, that's a huge answer to prayer. It's like they say, fourth time's the charm. So, but before we go on, let's go ahead and let's pray, and then we'll spend some time in Proverbs this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your mercy, for your grace. As we sang in the last song, uh, what amazing love, uh, what, what, what marvelous truth uh, that your word has for us of what you've done for us, that you sent your son to come and die for us. And as we stand humbled at the fact that you lavished your grace upon us, we ask, Father, that we ourselves would uh, appropriately see ourselves, that we would see you, that we would act in love and humility, that our goal would be to see people live for your son Jesus, and, and that would be our number one goal above all things. We just ask for this time as we look into your word that your spirit would be moving uh, in our hearts. Uh, help us pay attention to the things that are said here. Help me as I speak, that I may speak the truth accurately, and that is going to edify your people. We thank you so very much for just everything you've given us. In your son's name, amen. So, you know, it's the new year. And I know that a lot of people during the new years around this time or tomorrow, maybe you've already done it, is New Year's resolution, right? A lot of people do that, right? I'm going to do this more. I'm going to do this more. I'm not going to do that as much. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to do all that. There's really nothing wrong with it. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. I do find it interesting, though, that the Bible never tells us to do New Year's resolutions. Uh, that's never a thing. What the Bible does tell us to do, however, is to constantly look back at God's Word to see what is found in God's Word. And the idea is that daily we're looking into His Word, seeing what His Word has for us, looking at God's attributes, seeing His revealed will, and as we look at this, we go, that's what I need to be doing today. So for us as believers, we're in this constant state of looking at God's word, constant state of asking for forgiveness of where we went wrong, in this constant state of help me do what you're asking me to do. In a sense, we as biblical believers, we kind of do this every day, right? This should be, let me put it this way, this should be something that we do every day. This morning in this text is going to be one of those reminders, one of those things we've already heard, one of these things we've already talked about, but it's a good reminder. And there's an encouragement here. There's an encouragement to keep on. The reason that these things constantly are coming up in the book of Proverbs is, one, probably because that was a big thing that Israel struggled with, was all these things that we're talking about over and over again. But also mark this, there is a lot of things that we're going to talk about this morning that you and I struggle with 
on a daily basis. And this is why this needs to be a reminder of these things. I find that a lot of times when we get together or I hear a lot of pastors speak, they talk about sins that we don't commit, that we don't struggle with, but they're the sins that happen out there. Never really talks about the things that are going on in our own life or talk about how we, you know, what God's word has to say for the remedy of these things. And so I want to be true to the text and I want to be a good pastor and point out these things again and again. It's no trouble for me because these are the things that we're struggling with. These are the things that we need to work on, these, these small little things. And these little things, if left untended to, can grow into be terribly destructive to not only each other in our relationships, but in our testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that affects our gospel witness to this town. So this morning, I want to go to Proverbs chapter 25. We're going to talk about the correct response, continuing in the correct response. And we're going to see three things, right? So in verse 4 to 5, we're going to see Solomon talking about the correct response is to pray for our leaders. And we'll talk about what that means here in a second, but it's to pray for our leaders. In verses 6 and 7, the first part of 7, the correct response is to act in humility. To act in humility. So the first one is to pray for our leaders. The second one is to act in humility towards our leaders. Then in uh, the second part of 7 all the way down to verse 10, our correct response is to show love to our neighbors. To show love. So it's first pray, show humility, and act in love. Let's look at this first one of to pray for our leaders. Notice what he says in verse 4. Notice he says... Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Obviously, Solomon is not asking that all of us stop what we're doing and become silversmiths and make the purest silver we can make. This is clearly a metaphor for what's going to come next in the next verse. But just think about this process, if it is a metaphor. Notice that the major command here is to take away. That's going to be the major command then in verse Five of this idea of to take away. And just like a silversmith will take dross from silver, so this is a process that, that's used to this day, but also in the ancient world where you would heat up silver and impurities will float to the top, and you will remove those impurities, and those impurities are known as dross. And so the more dross you remove, the purer the silver is. And so the, here's this metaphor of a, of a silversmith as he's heating up the silver, he's taking off all of those impurities. And then once he then has this pure silver, notice what he says in the next part, and the smith has material for a vessel, meaning then he has the, then he has the pure silver. He has the right stuff. Whatever he's making, he has the right kind of silver. It's, it's going to be incredibly valuable because it's pure. It's going to be the right thing. It's going to hold up, right, because it's pure, it's something that's honorable. It's something that, that you're, going to, you're going to cherish, right? A family that gets a pure silver thing is going to cherish it. My mom has silverware that only comes out during Christmas. That is some prized stuff for my mom, right? I mean, that's, that's some important stuff. You, you treat that with care. That's good. It gets its own box, velvet. I mean, you've got to wash it a special way. You've got to talk to it real nice. It's, it's really special. It comes out at special times because it's pure silver. 
Same thing here, right? It's something that lasts. It's something that's pure. So this is then the metaphor for verse 5. Notice, verse 5, it says, take away the wicked. Now, there's a little bit of a debate here of who Solomon's talking to. It's likely that Solomon is talking to a king or to somebody who's in the court close to a king. And so it would be definitely their responsibility, either the king or the courtier, it's definitely their responsibility to make sure that there's no impurities around the king, right? Some have suggested that this is talking to us common folk and that all of a sudden God now has laid upon us the responsibility that if we happen to see anybody who is impure around our leaders, that it is our responsibility to take up arms and remove them. Obviously, we have problems with that. I have a problem with that. One, because we have the New Testament. There's numerous passages in the New Testament which discourages rebellion, which discourages this idea of us going to a ruler and saying the voice of the people is actually the voice of God. In fact, Romans 13 teaches us that a ruler, government ruler, is a servant of God, and God has placed that one there. Now, it's not saying that everything that that ruler does is godly, It's not saying that there isn't any mechanisms within our government to remove an ungodly ruler. But we need to be careful any time that we get hyped up to storm the Capitol, take somebody out. That that is some really dangerous stuff. One, it's not really in our purview as believers. I mean, I care about government stuff. I care about politics. I like talking about it. It's a fun thing to debate. It's like fantasy football or college football. Who's the best team? I don't know. Sometimes arguing politics is just like that. Here's these problems that really are difficult to solve, but I like arguing it anyways. My job as a believer, though, is to encourage you to live like Jesus. And with those who don't know Jesus, to share the gospel with them so that they may know Jesus. That's my number one purview. That's why I'm here as a believer. That's our job as the church, is that. Is that possibly, will that possibly change our culture? Hopefully, if there's a lot of believers and they start living according to God's word, will that change the culture around us? Yeah, yeah. And amen if it does. But my goal is you. My my ministry is you. My ministry is a story to share the gospel that God and Christ is honored and glorified. So it would seem strange for a king to say, if a king all of a sudden starts getting on godly company, it's your job as the people to take it away. Especially when you consider the source. Solomon wrote this. Remember, Solomon had some ungodly company. How many wives did he have? Are we to suggest that people are supposed to go in and start murdering Solomon's wives? You think that's what Solomon is saying? Of course not. The idea is is that these are the people that have this responsibility. And I see this for us as a church, that our desire for our leaders is that they remove those impurities around them. That's our desire. That should be our prayer for all of our governing leaders above us is to pray that they make godly decisions. Now, notice what he next says in verse 5. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king. See, it's dealing, with, it's dealing with those who can influence the king and influence the king to do something that is not right, that goes against God's word. Let's take, for example, Solomon. 
He had how many wives, right? Thousands of them. And what does the scripture say about them? They persuaded Solomon to not be as faithful to the Lord as he should have been, right? His heart was twitterpated with the other gods. So his heart went away. That is the wicked, right? You think about all the other kings in the Old Testament where they had bad advisors who told them to do things which went against God's word. The, the idea is that, that, that the people around the king and the king himself is very careful to protect themselves from those who influence him. And for us as believers, oh, we better be praying for our leaders, for our government uh, rulers, from the smallest, from the town to the county to the state to the federal level, that they surround themselves with good, godly counselors and that they do remove some of those that are wicked counselors. But, but notice what happens when you remove, just like, just like if you remove the dross from silver, notice what happens to the rule of this king. It says, and his throne, his, his rule, that, that's really the idea, it, throne here is, is used for all that he does, right, in his ruling and his sovereignty over his people, will be established in righteousness. So you remove these wicked counselors away, you, you, you get them out of the way, and guess what happens? He starts making godly decisions and the influences godly decisions. I want to I just remind us of a couple things here quickly. One, we must remind ourselves that what makes someone righteous today is that they're in Christ. What makes someone righteous is that they're yielding to the power of the Spirit, right? That, that's true righteousness. So obviously, that must mean that we pray for our leaders that they come to know Christ if they don't already, right? That should be our number one prayer, right? That they know Christ. Two, we must remember that righteousness is not necessarily, I agree with this person on a particular policy, therefore, they must be righteous, that's not necessarily the case. I can agree with somebody on one policy and that person be a very terrible person. That doesn't mean then all of a sudden I start going, they're righteous. And let's say that they get a counselor that I agree with a lot of their policies. Does that mean then that I declare that person righteous simply because we agree on certain policies? No. The Bible and God determines what is righteous. So it's possible for us to pray for somebody, it's possible for them to make decisions that we would go, don't like that policy, and it not necessarily be an unrighteous thing. Right? It's also possible for us to think of somebody who's righteous, and they're not righteous, and they make policies that we would agree with, but it doesn't coincide with God's word. You see what I'm saying? I'm saying the point is that we're praying that God would save our leaders and that they would start making their decisions according to the scriptures. And that we shouldn't follow, we shouldn't follow uh, our, our fancy just because somebody has an agreement with a policy and we just automatically declare that righteous. That, that, that we go to the Bible to let that define. And we pray that they make decisions according to the scriptures. So we must pray for our leaders. We, we, we must pray for them regardless of what letter comes before or after their name. Right? That's our job as believers, to pray, right? That's what Paul encourages us in 2 Timothy, to pray for our leaders, 
to pray for them and, and, and pray for their salvation and pray that they make right decisions. I, I think this is exactly what the Lord would want. Now, notice what Solomon says next in verse 6. So the first thing is to pray for our leaders. That's the correct response. Here's the second. Continue in the correct response is to act in humility. Notice what he says, verse 6. He says, and do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. So here the idea for put yourself forward is uh, be careful to claim or to honor yourself or to claim honor for yourself, right? So don't walk up to the king and go, do you know how great I am? Or to walk around like you own the place, right? Don't, don't, don't walk in like you, like you belong there, that, that it's, it's by your birthright. You belong and you stand with that proud and arrogant chest out. Really, this is a command. Really, here Solomon is, is commanding us to be humble and to avoid self-promotion. Self-promotion is a, is a really dangerous thing. It's kind of interesting in the world that we live, isn't it, where we have social media. And I know that a lot of people in this room go, well, I don't do social media. That's fine. It's still in the world, and it still does influence people around us, and it does influence Christians. And one of the things that social media has, which can have some good things. I mean, I'm on Facebook. I'm okay with it. But there are some things that we have to be careful of. It is prone for self-promotion. It is prone for arrogance. There is a real sense that I must promote myself and curate myself so that I look better than who I really am. Social media just, just does this, right? It promotes this. In fact, you do better. You get more friends and more views if you are a great self-promoter. This isn't really us as believers, right? As believers, we're not supposed to be self-promoters. We're supposed to be humble. We're not supposed to be proud or arrogant. We're supposed to be submissive. Go with me to Mark chapter 9. Notice what Jesus says here. Mark chapter 9. We'll go to verse 30. Verse 33. Mark 9, 33. And it says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? So this is the Lord. He's talking to the disciples. They get to Capernaum, and he goes, What were you, what were you guys talking about? Verse 34. But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Yeah. That... that Sounds like something I would do, right? With a whole bunch of guys. Who's, who's, the, who's number one? Who's number one? Jesus. Who's number two? Me. No, it's me. No, it's me. Well, it's definitely him. It's not you, it's him, right? Could you imagine this? Twelve guys walking with Jesus, you know, being able to listen to Jesus, seeing all the things that Jesus does, and they're concerned about who's number two, <laughs> Right? They're arguing this. And Jesus, Jesus is making a point. What were you guys talking about? And they knew. They knew this was bad. That's why they didn't say anything. That's why nobody stood up and goes, well, we're talking about who's your number two. So notice what he says. 
He says, he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, right, the leader, the great one, he must be last of all and a servant of all. You you, you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that the follow Jesus requires humility and that the greatest follower of Jesus is one who is, first of all, humble, has humility, isn't a self-promoter, isn't, isn't going to sit there and, and engage in an argument of who's the greatest and, put, and, and even then name themselves in that who's the greatest. To, to, to a disciple of Jesus, to a follower of Jesus, that is anathema. We would never even begin to think that, right? That's what he's saying. That's the expectation. We, we shouldn't have this. We shouldn't be going, well, I'm, I'm the greatest, obviously. I'm the greatest. You're not the greatest. I am. No, uh, some, somebody who, who, is, who is led by the Spirit will we'll be humble and will not put themselves first. And, and then notice, we'll be in a servant of all. So, so it's this humility, it's this service, it's this submission, right? I'm going to listen to Jesus. I'm going to promote Jesus. God's glory is the thing that I'm after. I want him to be glorified. I don't care about me. I, I want him to be glorified. And I'm going to serve everyone. Now notice the example that Jesus then gives. It says, then he took a child And put him in the midst of them. And taking him in the arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You see the example. Here Jesus takes a child. And and, and he just got done saying, "Whoever You have to be the greatest servant of all. And he takes a child. Why a child? What can a child give back? If you serve a child, what, what great honor can be bestowed on you if you're serving a child? What can that child turn around and give you? Right? It, it, it's truly giving. It's truly serving without, without expecting anything back in return. That, that's the idea here. That's the image. So when, when we go back to Solomon here in 25 of Proverbs, and he says, Do not put yourself forward as a believer we are taught we are taught numerous times in numerous passages to be humble to see ourselves correctly to see our calling correctly to see god correctly and to give credit to whom credit is due and that's very rarely us that that's what we're about we we want god to be honored and glorified what did the apostle paul say for me to live is christ and to die is gain that really should be our prayer for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters around us. That really, for us, life is all about the exaltation of Jesus. That's, that's true humility. Instead of this, Solomon saying, look, be careful, man. Don't, don't, don't be arrogant. Don't be a self-promoter. And don't put yourself too forward in the king's presence. The sense is because the king won't like it. And then notice what he says next, or stand in the place of the great. Uh, it, this is like the same idea as, uh, as uh, putting yourself where important people stand, right? Trying to stand as close as possible to the king, and you, you, just, you just go there. It's acting big, acting important. It's bad. This is bad. Remember, we've already learned in the book of Proverbs that pride comes before a fall. That pride always has a devastating effect on the back end. So Solomon then gives us different advice. Notice what he says. He says, for it is better to be told 
to come up here than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. So here, it's better to sit in the place of a commoner and the king go, no, you don't stand there. You come stand here. Right? It's better, it's better to be humble and then, and then be asked to come to a, a place of, of honor. It's amazing. It's almost as if Jesus was an avid reader of the book of Proverbs. Uh, because there are several times where Jesus says stuff and you go, that sounds exactly like the Proverbs. So, for example, go with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Notice what our Lord says here. Notice what he says in verse 7, 14. He says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose a place of honor, he said to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you will both come to you and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you, will begin with, or then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher, for you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. But everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That is almost... Right? Very close to what we just see here. But you see the point, right? If you're going to exalt yourself, be very careful. Be very careful. Pride comes before destruction. There will be shame here. It's always better, always better to, to take a lower position. It's always better to not be self-promoting, to be submissive, to be humble. Now, if we go back to Proverbs 25, notice... He says in verse, in verse 7, the second part, it says, then to be put lower in the presence of nobles. And I guess the first question we should ask when we read this is, why is that such a bad thing to be embarrassed in front of nobles? Other than the fact that it's just embarrassing, right? I mean, that, that's incredibly embarrassing to, to be told, you don't belong up here, you go down there, Right? As we look at the book of Proverbs and what we've seen so far, there there may be a couple things. One, it's just not wise. It's not the way that God would want us to act. It's it's unbiblical. Even in the Old Testament, pride, the the, the sin of pride and vanity and self-promotion was always seen as a bad thing. So a wise person does not do this foolish thing. That would be number one. Number two, man, think about those rest of those nobles. You stand up and you go to a place of honor. That means that you stepped above them, and they deserve that place of honor. That doesn't make a lot of friends, does it? Guess what happens? You might need some of those people in the future, and you have now created an enemy. That would be a bad thing, right? So you'd be humiliated. Also, it's possible you might have some really good ideas. You might, you might really have some good advice, but because you're such a self-promoter, nobody wants to listen to you. Have you ever met somebody like that who was such a self-promoter, so arrogant, so proud? Yeah, they said some good things, but when they said it, you're like, man, I hate that they're right. 
I hate that they're right. I never want them to be right. That happens, right? And that could happen here. And this is not the type of place that you want this to happen. It's also possible, too, that they might stand in the way of you ascending to be closer to the king. It might be that you do this thing, and when the king says, well, let's have that guy come forward, that these other nobles might be wicked and say, well, remember that one time. But the point here, friends, is that we must act in humility, right? must be humble. Now, let's get to this next one, the second part of verse 7, and it's this idea that we should show love to our neighbors. This is a really interesting uh, set of verses. Notice what he says. He says, What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring it into court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Really interesting. Really interesting. So the, the sense you get is, uh, you, you see something happen. You see your neighbor do something. And the sense is, the sense is that it was against you, right? And you, without thinking about it, without evidence, without asking what they're doing, without praying about it, without seeking wise counsel, you go, I saw them do whatever that was. I'm taking them to court now. We're going to court now. Solomon's saying, be careful. Be careful. Anytime court is involved, be really careful. Even as believers, we, oh, be careful. Be careful about court. Be careful. I'm, I'm not saying that it's always wrong, but it's definitely not always right. We see in the book of 1 Corinthians, those believers were taking each other to court. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. They were taking each other to court. And they were airing out all of their problems in front of non-believers. And Paul goes, is there not anybody wise enough to to solve any of these disputes? Do you you have to go and and air out all your dirty laundry to, to those who don't know Christ and then turn around and go, yeah, but Jesus can change your life. All you got to do is believe in him. And people go, no, he doesn't. Have you been to court? All of your brothers and sisters have been in there airing all their dirty laundry and some of the stuff they're doing, we don't even see amongst ourselves. You guys are worse. So what is Paul's advice to these believers? He says, isn't it better just to be wrong sometimes? Isn't it better just to go, okay, I'm playing a different game here. All right, yeah, I was taken advantage of. Okay, I'm not going to take the person to court. I'm going to deal with it, right? Because there's a different game. Here Solomon is not saying that you should never go to court. It's just caution. And, and the big caution is hastily. And, and, it's, and it's based off of what you've seen. Whew. You've seen something, so now I'm going. This is a split reaction. This is a reaction out of anger, out of bitterness, out of a rush to judgment. Oof. He's saying, be careful. Because he says, what, what will you do in the end? What will you do in the end? What do you mean, Solomon? When your neighbor puts you to shame. How will he put you to shame? I don't know. He'll embarrass you with facts and truth. That doesn't look good. It's not a good thing. 
It's not a good thing to be known as somebody who rushes to judgment, who has a quick temper, who's litigious, and, is, and wants to take everybody to court for any reason. Whew, that's bad. That, 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 that's a bad thing. You don't create friends that way. You don't build bridges, right? That's a good way to be ostracized in a community. So, so what's, what's Solomon's advice? What's Solomon's advice? Notice what he says in verse 9. Argue your case with your neighbor himself. What, 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 what does Solomon say? Don't go to court. Go to the person. Just go right to him. Talk to him about it. Maybe you didn't see it right. Maybe your perspective is limited. Maybe you missaw. Maybe you just, I don't know, talk to him about it. See what happened. Figure it out with him. Oh, that's so much better. Oh, that's so much better. You build trust that way. Oh, it's so much better. You're not taking them to court. So much better. You just go to them honorably and just go, hey, I saw this. What's up? Let's talk. Let's try to figure this out, you and I. Oh, this is great. And this is Solomon's advice. Isn't that great advice, right? This is great advice. This is what love looks like, right? Remember when Paul talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not keep a record of wrongs, right? Love believes all things, hopes all things, bears all things. All of those are attributes of love. If you do the opposite, then you see something, make a swift swift judgment, you bring all of your list of grievances, you don't assume the best of the person, you don't believe the best in the person, you're assuming that everything they're doing is with malice of forethought to ruin your life. And you say, I'm going to make them pay, and I'm going to retaliate, and they'll get some. Solomon says, that is really bad, really unwise, go talk to them. But this is not without a caution. Notice what he says. He says, and do not reveal another's secret. So even when you go to talk to somebody in private, be careful what you say. You might say too much. That's bad. You might say something about that person. Or you might say something about yourself of how you happen to see them do that particular thing that they did. Right? That's bad. Like, how do you know what I said about you? Well, I went and I stole your phone and I looked on your phone to see what you texted about me. Then I put it back. That's not a good look. Be careful. You might end up in gossip. Be careful. You might end up in slander. Well, that's not good. Here you are trying to solve this issue and then you start slandering the person. Start gossiping about somebody else? Not good. See, see, see the point is, you've got to be wise about this. You've got to be discerning about this. Be careful not to gossip. Be careful not to slander. Now, when I say gossip, this is what I mean. I mean this, this giving these reports about another person, about things that are not yours to say. They're not for you to divulge that information about that person's life, but you do anyway. They might be true, they might not. It doesn't matter. It's not for you to say, but you say it. And you give a report about this other person. And, and the point is to persuade somebody to think something about this person. You're not concerned about the truth. You're just saying truth. You're just saying things about somebody. That's what you're doing. 
right? Normally, the things that you're saying are things that are not common knowledge and are not meant to be common knowledge, but you dabble in it anyway because it's really juicy. It's awesome. I think every person in this room loves a good piece of gossip. We do because we do it all the time. You might slander. What's slander? That's where you intentionally, intentionally make a damaging comment about the person's or their character, either by falsifying it or blowing it out of proportion, right? You can do any of that in this situation. And Solomon goes, be careful, act in love. What happens? What happens if we start gossiping? What happens if we start slandering? What, what happens if we take somebody to court? What's the big deal? Notice the next verse 10. Lest he hears you and bring shame upon you. It's possible for you to say something about somebody else or about the person you're talking to and have too much information and he makes the record right. He embarrasses you once again with the truth. Or how about this? When you come to him with something that is really important, he's going to go, why should I listen to you? All you do is gossip. How do I know what you said is true? Or how about this one? He's not going to tell you things or build trust with you or deepen his relationship with you because all he sees you doing is going around sharing information that's not yours to share. He doesn't trust you. So when then it comes to matters of, of writing out contracts, guess what he's going to do? He's going to write these really long contracts. Why? Because he doesn't trust you. And notice this next part. And, and this, this, is, this is what's so devastating about these sins. And your, and your ill repute have no end. Once a gossip, always a gossip. Once a slanderer, always a slanderer. That stink doesn't wash off. It sticks around. You get caught doing it one time, that's what people think of you. Once heard a story about these three pastors who went fishing. And the one pastor was there as he was fishing, said, you know, I think it's important for us to have accountability partners. And since we're all three pastors, I want to be accountable. Brothers, I feel so bad. I've been, been taking money out of the, offering plates and I bought a brand new car all the brothers go oh that's bad I'll pray for you the other guy goes yeah well look I feel so bad we, you know we have that communion wine downstairs every day four or five times a day I'm down there drinking it then I fill it with water all the guys are oh. and the other guy doesn't say anything but he starts shaking he's just shaking in the boat he goes on, he's shaking for 20 minutes. And the one pastor says, now we shared our struggles with you. How dare you not share your struggle? And the guy goes, fine, guys, my biggest struggle is gossip, and I cannot wait to get off this boat. Once a gossiper, always a gossiper. Once a slanderer, always. And this, this, this is dangerous. This is dangerous in a church. Because you might say something about somebody that's not true, that damages their reputation, and then they go and they try to do ministry, and there's these, there's these, it damages their ability to do ministry. You have to stop doing ministry to then 
solve this problem. Instead of, instead of worshiping the Lord together, you've got to stop all things and go, okay, let's try to figure out what was said, who said what, when was what said. This is bad. As a church, we shouldn't even be involved in this. There should be no gossip. There should be no slander. If you have a problem with somebody, go to that person and deal with that person directly. That's biblical. That's what you're supposed to do. Don't go around talking to people or don't do this. You go, you know what? I have a prayer request for somebody. And then you share all the bad stuff and go, well, let's pray for him. That's still gossiping. This is a bad sin that we struggle with a lot. It's one of those sins that we like to call respectable sins. It's okay to do at certain times because it's not one of the big ones. But this is just as devastating. So, as we look at this, what are we supposed to continue to do? Continue to pray for our leaders. Oh, let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray that they find Jesus. What are we supposed to do? Act with humility, not hubris. Act with humility. What else are we supposed to do? We're supposed to walk in love, right? Love one another. Forgive one another. If I have an issue with you, I'll come talk to you by yourself. If you have an issue with me, you come talk to me. Not talk to everybody else. I, I don't know if you've heard of this. Um, it's known as the Great Christmas Light Fight. Have you guys heard of this? Great Christmas Light Fight. There's a guy, I'm not going to say his name, in a place, undisclosed. I'm sure you're going to find out later when you search this up on Google. But what happened was, he really likes Christmas lights, and he thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make my house the most Christmas light house I don't care what my neighbors say. I don't care what the city says. I'm going to get animals, and I'm going to, have all, I'm going to invite the entire town to my house to look at these Christmas lights. And the dude had thousands of people come look at his house. And the city said, guy, you can't do this. Like, you can't do this in a residential area. You need a permit. So he said, you know what? The government is trying to oppress me and my religious rights. So you know what he does? He moves just outside of town in a gated community. Goes to the gated community and he says, I'm going to have Christmas lights, whether you like it or not. And they said, hold on, guy. This is a gated community. There's a homeowners association you got to talk to. Next words, I will sue you if you do not let me express my religious right as a born-again believer to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Then he gets a documentary crew to follow him around as he badmouths the people. And as I was watching this documentary, I was just sitting there going, please stop saying you are a born-again believer. Please, don't say that. Just say you really like Christmas. Say you're pro-Santa. That's way better. Put that on him. Don't put that on us. And, and, and I was shaking my head, how bad he is. Oh, how bad he is for Christmas lights. Uh. And then this past week, I went to Seattle. Oh, I badmouthed the city of Seattle. I badmouthed the people in the government, the passport office. That's a, really, that, that's a really obnoxious place. I told Greg after I left, I said, I think I just left Dante's third level of hell. Badmouthed. Oh, I didn't pray for those poor people. I got a little, little agitated when I couldn't get my passport right then and there. You mean I have to go back to Astoria? 
and then drive back to Seattle the next day to pick up my passport? You can't overnight it to me? It's really easy, friends. It's really easy to complain instead of pray. It is really easy to say, do you know who I am? Do you know what kind of a big deal I am? And to not act with humility, realizing that probably some of the reason I was in that passport office was my own fault. You know how easy it is to slander, to gossip? This stuff is easy. It it rolls real quick. The The only help I know is Jesus. The only help I know is spending time in his word. The only help I know is yielding to the power of the spirit. The reason we talk about this is because these are things that we struggle with every day. These are damaging. And my hope and my encouragement is that you walk by the power of the spirit and you honor and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that as we walk in love by the power of the spirit, he will be exalted and people will see him and they will say, what a glorious and wonderful Savior. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for your word. We thank you for the things that are found in your word. I, I thank you for the truth that is here, for the encouragement. I, I pray, Father, you would help us. We know that you who began a good work is faithful to complete it until we see your son again. And so, Father, we just ask that we would be submissive, that we would be humble, and that we would seek to honor and glorify you with everything we say, everything we think, and everything we do. We say this in your son's name. Amen. So as the musicians come up, just